Perik Gimel Mishnah Aleph. This parak continues the topic of the Milos. That is that in numerous ways the Rabbanon enacted that the standard we must abide by when it comes to guarding from Tumah is commensurate with the level of holiness that we're dealing with. So we have this kind of hierarchy starting from Chulin, which is devoid of any kind of sanctity, and then up to Meister Shani, then Truma, then a piece of carbon, and at the top would be the requirement to avoid Tumah when handling the Mechatas, the Paraduma waters. Over the course of the next three Mishnayos, the Mishnah will list 11 examples of how the Rabbanan imposed a more stringent standard of avoiding Tumah for Kodesh, a piece of a carbon, as opposed to Truma. So we are focusing then on just these two uh, levels in the hierarchy, Kodesh versus the level of holiness just below Truma. The first stringency is Chomer Ba Kodesh Mi Ba Truma. One Tuma stringency that applies to Kodesh over Truma is Shemad Bilin Kalim Betoch Kalim La Truma. That if a person wants to purify a utensil for the purpose of using that with some Truma, he may accomplish the purification by immersing the utensil with another smaller utensil inside. We don't have to be concerned that the mikvah waters will not penetrate every single point of the surface of the larger utensil. We could rely on the assumption that the water will permeate through even a small gap or crevice and that the immersion therefore will be valid. That assumption may be relied upon if the person is immersing the vessel to put truma in there, of a lola kodesh but not if the person is purifying a vessel for the purpose of putting a piece of a carbon in there. If that's the purpose, then he has to make sure not to have a smaller utensil than the larger one. During the immersion, if a higher standard it comes to the Kodesh, we say even though we're not really concerned that the water will reach every part of the surface of the larger utensil, but when it comes to the Kodesh, we're stringent about this. The next stringency concerns a specific case of Toma, and that is a tummy liquid, which on the biblical level cannot transmit tuma, but on the rabbinic level does transmit tuma. Now in Mesechtis Kalim, there's a lot of discussion about if you have a utensil that's made up of different components. And the issue of, uh, with regards to the utensil contracting tuma, that we consider the whole thing as one unit, or is each component separate and distinct from each other. The discussion here focuses on a utensil which has an achorayim, which means it's a hollow bottom. If you turn it over, you could put stuff in it. It has, of course, a toch, an interior, and it has a base at svita, a hand grip, meaning there are indentations in the utensil. The person sticks his finger in to get a grip on the utensil. There's no question that if we're talking about a regular case of tumma, let's say a dead sheritz, which came into contact with any of the aforementioned components, the entire utensil would simply be considered tame. But the mission is referring to where a tame liquid came into contact with one of these components. So again, in this situation, on the biblical level, there is no transmission of tama. The mission teaches us that in a case where it's practically relevant to putting truma in this utensil, the Rabbanan placed a limitation on their decree of tama in liquids. They said that if the tame liquid comes into contact with either the bottom of it or the hand grip on the outside, that only the component that was actually touched by the tummy liquid 
we deemed as rabbinically tame, not the other components. As the Mishnah states, Achorayim v'etoch u'beisat tzvita batruma. The Rabbanon placed this limitation of viewing the aforementioned components as separate and distinct from each other, as far as whether the tumma will spread to the other parts, the tumma that came from this tummy liquid, in the event that the practical relevance is the person wants to use the vessel with truma. So, for example, let's say the tummy liquid touched the outside, the hand grip part, the inside of it, the bottom of it, which you can flip it over and put something in there, will not be tummy, and therefore the person would still be permitted to put his truma in those sections. And likewise, if the tummy liquid touched the bottom of the utensil, again, if you flip it over, it has its own hollow, the tumma will not be transferred to the other parts. You could put truma in the other parts, the inside or the hollow of the hand grip. This leniency only applies where he wants to put truma in the other components of a loba kodesh, but not if he would like to place a piece of carbon in the other components. In that case, the Rabbanan do not put any limitation. Rather, the Rabbanan simply view the entire utensil as one unit, such that if the tummy liquid touched any of the parts, the whole thing would be tummy, not be able to use any of the other parts to store a piece of carbon. The next stringency that applies to Kodesh and not Truma is as follows. The halach is a midras, truma. A person may simultaneously carry an object that has tumas midras, for example, a zav person's shoe. A zav is a person who has a certain bodily mission, makes him severely tame. And midras of a zav, or let's say nida, first is something that supports the weight of the tame person, and as a result, that object, let's say the shoe, becomes tame on a pretty high level to the point that the shoe itself would transmit tuma to other utensils, even to a person. In the Mishnah states, a person may carry such a, a midras shoe while also carrying truma. What the Mishnah means is he can carry an earthenware vessel that has truma inside of it. This is not an issue because the Torah teaches that a klicheres earthenware vessel is pretty protective against tuma, in the sense that if a source of tuma, even a dead sheretz, comes directly into contact with the exterior of a klicheres, the klicheres does not become tame. The klicheres only becomes tame if you put the source of tuma inside of it. The Mishnah is saying we need not be concerned that the midras tame shoe will somehow get inside of this earthenware vessel in which the truma is contained. Now it's true that a midras item we mentioned makes a person tame, which means that the person carrying this shoe and the barrel with the truma inside has become tame, but that doesn't pose a problem for the truma because his level of tuma is only rish on the tuma. It's one step away from the source of the tuma, and a mere rish on the tuma can make a vessel tame. So even if this person's hands enter the airspace of the earthenware vessel, which contains the truma, the vessel will not contract tuma. The Mishnah rules of a lowest akodesh. A person may not carry a piece of carbon inside of earthenware vessel while he's also carrying an item that has tumas midras, like the shoe of a zav. And when it comes to kodesh, we are concerned for the possibility that the shoe may end up inside of the earthenware vessel. That would make the vessel rishon letoma, and a rishon letoma is able to spread tuma 
to food, in this case a piece of a carbon. Since we are worried that that may happen, we can't carry these two things simultaneously. And the Gemara explains that this decree was made in the wake of an actual incident when this very uh, fear was realized. A piece of the Azov's uh, sandal ended up in the airspace of the Klicheres with carbon in it, and it did disqualify the carbon, made it tame. So they decree this is not permitted, but they limited the decree only to situation that resembles the original case, which involved Kodesh, not Truma. The next stringency of Kodesh over Truma was mentioned in the previous Mishnah, and that is the Big Day Ochli Truma Midras La Kodesh. The clothing of those who are vigilant not to become Tame, but only for the purpose so they can eat Truma, in other words, we're talking about Kohanim. Those clothing, from the perspective of those who need to avoid Tuma to be able to have a carbon, must be viewed as Tame. They have to suspect that maybe he wasn't 100% careful. Maybe his wife was Anida, sat on the garment, and therefore he has to consider it as Tame, because somebody guarding from Tuma for the sake of Truma is not going to be as vigilant as one guarding from Tuma who wants to remain eligible to have, have some carbon. Another stringency that applies to Kodesh and not Truma is as follows Lokimidas ha Kodesh, Midas ha Truma. The measure of what's deemed a potentially problematic chatzitza, a barrier between the utensil you want to immerse in the mikvah and the waters of the mikvah, is more stringent when it comes to Kodesh than it is in the case of Truma. Sheba Kodesh, as regards a garment with corners, or it wasn't atypical to tie the corners together with loose knots. If he needs to purify this garment for the sake of Kodesh, he may not leave even such loose knots in place. Matri must untie the knots. Uminagev, and he must also take care to wipe off any grease that's found on the garment. Umatpil, then he can immerse it in the mikvah. kosher. And upon the immersion, he could tie the knots again. Whereas Ubatruma, in the case of a garment one needs to purify for the sake of Truma, Allah is kosher, v'yachrakach matpil. If he wants, he could even go and tie the loose knots before immersing the garment. Without any concern that there will be a chatzitza issue, that the waters will not get inside of the knots, it most probably will. We can rely on that probability when it comes to Truma, but not when it comes to the Kodesh. And likewise, if there's a bit of grease on it, if he's purifying this for truma, he can rely on the assumption that the water will clean away the grease or get through the grease. It will touch every part of the garment surface. It's only when it comes to the kodesh that we're stringent that we require him to wipe off the grease before immersing the garment.